I love that song, Rattle, that we just sang, especially the part that says, open the grave, I'm coming out, I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. I believe God is breathing life into the hearts of each of us today, but the question is, are we willing to receive it? Wherever you're at right now, I want you to join me in prayer as we get ready to dive in to God's word. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to meet together even if it is somewhat separate being online. Father, we pray that as we look into your word today, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts to hear from you. We pray, God, that your word would penetrate whatever we're going through this week and would change us from the inside out to be more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Man, welcome to Wellspring Church Online. We are so excited to have you, whether you're watching in your home or on your TV or maybe even on your cell phone, regardless of how you're joining us, can I just tell you that we are so happy that you're here. In the midst of social distancing, it is so important that we are not spiritually distancing. We believe that God is doing something amazing during this time and he wants each of us to be a part of it. Go ahead and comment below during this message, share it with a friend, and invite someone to join you for online church, and just watch and see what God will do with that. If we haven't met in person, my name is Brian, and I serve as the Director of Student Ministries down at Bayside Chapel in Barnegat. Uh, it is great to be a friend of the family and to be here with you guys today online. There's this old story about a man who was attempting to sell his house. Many of his friends were moving into a newer, more luxurious neighborhood with bigger yards and fancier uh, houses. The realtor showed up and he decided that he it was time for him to sell his house because he wanted to move and be just like his friends. So the realtor showed up, he took pictures, he came up with an enticing description, and he began to post online and using other platforms the house for sale. The man was sure his house would sell soon and he couldn't wait to buy a new one. So right away, he began looking for homes in the new neighborhood. He stumbled across a listing from a website he's never heard of. And it was interesting because there wasn't any pictures. There was just a description. It, it talked about this house with the amount of rooms that he wanted and the, the architecture that he wanted and the backyard that he wanted. It had all the things that he wanted. And he didn't know the address. He didn't know the price and he didn't even see pictures. He was just basing everything off of a description. So he called his real estate agent and he shared with them, hey, look at this house that I found online. And so the agent began to ask him a few different questions, but then replied, sir, the house you're describing is your house. That's your listing. I think sometimes we can chase after the next big thing without recognizing how good we really have it. We want the promotion, we want the fancier house, we want the nicer car, we want the less annoying kids because we see others with it and we envy it. If we're honest, many of us struggle with contentment. Contentment is defined as a mental and emotional state of satisfaction. Each of us struggle with this, right? The chase of satisfaction. We have desires, we have wants, we have needs, and we want to accomplish those things. But the longer we go through life, I realize that the great philosophers of the Rolling Stones were right. I can't get no satisfaction. We've been in a series called Rooted, looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today we pick up in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you have had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so at this point in, in the Bible, Paul is writing to believers at the church of Philippi. He's writing out of the feeling of thankfulness, not only for their financial support of his ministry, but also for their constant encouragement and prayer. Paul's careful here to make it clear of his heart of the letter. Not, uh, he is not asking for help, but yet he is still receiving help. No matter what he has, if it's a lot or a little, he will continue to do what God has called him to do. Why is this? Well, I think it's because in verse 11, we see that Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. There's a story about a pilot who looked down intently on a certain valley in the Appalachian Mountains every time he flew his plane overhead. One day, his co-pilot his co asked, what's so interesting about that spot that you keep staring at? The pilot replied, see that stream? Well, when I was a kid, I used to sit down there on a log and fish. Every time an airplane flew over, I would look up and wish I was flying. Now I look down and I wish I was fishing. Now, no matter if you're 16, 36, or 66 years old, we're all chasing contentment. During a poll about 10 years ago, hundreds of Americans were surveyed about what brings them contentment. Their results might be a little bit surprising. Uh, people who were highly satisfied, who rated it on a scale of 9 or 10 out of 10, said that they were highly satisfied with their family, 62%. 47% said they were highly satisfied with their friends, 40% with their health, 40% with where they live, 45% with religion, 42% with romance, 25% with personal growth, 26% were satisfied with their careers, 23% uh, were satisfied with how much fun they were having in recreation, and only 14% were satisfied with their financial situation. Many would say that they are most satisfied with their families, friends, health, and faith more than they're satisfied with their recreational time, their career, or their money. It's easier to find a new job than it is to work on our family issues. That's why it's so oftentimes that we attempt to find our contentment in the things that bring us the least amount of satisfaction. It's easier to go out and party and have a good time than to work on genuine relationships with our friends. It's easier to eat our feelings away than it is to work on our personal health. It's easier to focus on earning and building a legacy for ourselves than it is to submit ourselves to God's plan for our lives. The things we need most are often the things we avoid. And so we begin to find our contentment in other things. The question I hope for us to answer today is how can I be truly content? In today's passage, Paul tells us that he has learned to be content. The question is, how do you learn these things? Probably like most of us from trial and error. And so in verse 12, we see it says that Paul writes, I know how to be brought low. And so how can I be truly content? Do I, do I have to lose everything like Paul did? Have you ever hit rock bottom? 
that place of no return, that place where you just feel completely empty and exhausted of all energy, all resources. It feels like you are at the bottom of the world by yourself. The Apostle Paul knows exactly what it means to be brought low, to hit rock bottom. In Paul's life, he was put in prison over and over again. He was flogged an uncounted amount of times. He faced death over and over again. He received 39 lashes five different times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned one time. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night floating in the ocean. He was in continual danger from robbers and thieves. He was in the danger from his own countrymen as well as the Gentiles. He was in danger in the city, in the country, at the sea, and by his own friends. He was weary and in pain and often without sleep. He was often hungry, thirsty, cold, and without clothes. He was continually concerned about the health of all of the churches. And Paul had a lot going on. I, I would believe that Paul was at rock bottom probably a lot more than many of us have been. Now, don't get me wrong. Hitting rock bottom isn't always a bad place to be. A lot of things in life are put in perspective when we hit rock bottom. When crisis happens and we're forced to reevaluate, when life circumstances take place that are out of our control, then those are the moments where God meets us at the bottom and does something incredible in our life. Being on rock bottom isn't the problem, but staying there is. When I was getting ready to head off to my first semester in college, I was uh, so passionate about graphic design. I, I wanted to go to school, study graphic design, uh, go get a great advertising job, make lots of money, make lots of ads, and really just live a life that I've always wanted to live. But see, sometimes, man, when we come up with our own plan for life, God likes to surprise us by giving us something different. And so I remember my first art class in college, I walked in, I had a professor that was incredible. He was a world-renowned artist. He, he had a great resume. And I sat around a table with a bunch of other art students and I was ready to begin Art 101. Now, just like in regular school, in college, usually the first couple days is going over the syllabus and the rules and everything to expect for the semester. I remember the teacher telling us to take out the syllabus. And then I remember waking up in class at the end. I fell asleep my first art class of college as a graphic design major. It's not a good place to be. And so I remember in that, in that moment, waking up and going, man, maybe this isn't what I need to do. I went back to my dorm room and I talked to a couple friends about what the next step should be. Like, should I drop the class? Should I go home? Like, should I just quit college? And they encouraged me to stay. But I knew that I had to figure out over the next couple of weeks what I was gonna do. Otherwise, I was gonna fall way behind. I was gonna waste a lot of money and waste a lot of time. There was a moment in our Christian college where um, there was a thing called Spiritual Emphasis Week and they would bring in a guest speaker and it would be in a huge basketball arena and 10,000 Christian college students raising their hands and praising God. Just incredible moment. And a good friend of mine, Chris, was uh, in front of me and we were hanging out, we were worshiping, we were praising God. And the pastor came up and he gave an altar call and he asked people to come forward and pray if they have things going on. And Chris ran to the front of the stage and it was intense because we, we were lucky enough, our dorm actually got floor seats. So we had people all around us. And my buddy Chris, he runs up front, he drops down on his knees in front of the stage. And so many other students 
what came out of the stands and in the front of that stage. That night alone, it was estimated that over 350 people gave their life to Jesus in one meeting. Incredible. But I saw Chris at the front of the stage and in my heart, I was like, man, somebody needs to encourage this guy. Someone needs to pray for him. Someone needs to help him. And, and as I kept saying someone, I felt a little bit about me saying, man, maybe Brian, maybe you should go pray for him. But sometimes, man, when you feel like God is asking you to do something, the devil likes to whisper lies underneath that. And so although I felt like I needed to pray for them, I was also filled with the idea of like, well, what are you even going to say? You barely know him. What are you, you going to do to fix his problem? And as I began to rattle off all these excuses, clarity just began to come to me. And I felt like God said, Brian, you need to just step out in faith right now. You need to trust me. You need to believe in me. And I will give you the words to speak. So I thought, man, God, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good plan. But there's a person literally, there's like three people literally standing in front of me. I can't even get to Chris. I would have to like shove someone out of the way to get to him. And as I began to come up with more excuses, the people in front of me decided they were just going to walk away. And it opened up a line, straight path, right to Chris. So I ran up in front. I dropped down next to him. I put my arm around him and I began to pray for him. And I, I can't tell you the words that I say. I don't remember a, anything of the prayer, but I remember this. And as I began to pray for Chris, the Holy Spirit whispered something in my heart. He said, Brian, this is why you're here. This is what you're called to do. You're called to meet people where they're at. You're called to minister to youth and young adults. This is why you're here. And so a moment in my life where I felt like I was at rock bottom with nowhere else to go. Why am I at college? What am I going to major in? Did I just mess up my whole life? God decided to do something great in the midst of a situation that was chaotic. God might just use your rock bottom moment to point you towards what you need most. Not only does Paul talk about the times where he had lost everything, but also about the times where he had more than he needed. Verse 12 says, I know how to abound. And so how can I be truly content? Maybe it's not that I have to lose everything. Maybe Paul is saying that I have to have everything that I want, but that doesn't even sound right. You see, our culture is constantly telling us to get rich, to get power, to get influence, and then we will be happy. How do you even define success? That's probably one of the most used questions on a job interview. But often we find ourselves saying, if I could just have what they have, then my life would be better. If I could just get out of debt, if I could just move out of my parents' house, if I could just get a better job, we constantly make an assumption that the grass is always greener on the other side, but the reality is the grass is greener where it is watered. And so maybe you've been envious and you've been seeing what other people have and you think, man, if I just have those things that I'll be happy the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where it is watered. Paul knows a lot about having everything that he needs. Before, before Paul was a believer in Jesus, he had a different name. It was Saul. Saul was born into a Jewish family, but he also had Roman citizenship, which would have been a big deal during this time. He probably, it probably meant that Saul lived in one of the more fancier neighborhoods. He would grow up to learn Jewish law and eventually become a respected Pharisee, but also became one of the biggest persecutors of Christians. See, in Acts 7 and 8, we see some of the highlights of Saul's crusade against 
Christians, Saul took after the coats of men who stoned Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. Saul leads a violent persecution of the young Christian church in Jerusalem. He goes from house to house, dragging men and women off the prison. When believers are found guilty of what is considered to be blasphemy, Saul calls for them to be stoned to death. When Saul begins to persecute the Jewish followers of Jesus in foreign cities, things just get worse. In 35 AD, armed with the Jewish Sanhedrin's authority to persecute followers of the way, which is what they called Christianity during this time, Saul sets off from Jerusalem to a city called Damascus. But just before reaching Damascus, Jesus Christ appears to Saul. And Saul falls to the ground, blinded. He's led by hand into the city, and he spends three days not drinking, not eating. Ananias, who is a disciple living in Damascus, has a vision of the Lord Jesus who tells him to go to Saul. But he's reluctant. He knows Saul's reputation. He knows if I, as a Christian, approach him, man, I could face death. But the Lord says to him, go, I have chosen Saul for an important work. He must tell me about those who are, who are not Jews to kings and to people of Israel. So he goes and he finds Saul and he prays that Saul will be filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately Saul is changed. Something like scales falls from Saul's eyes and he can see again. At that moment, Jesus tells Saul that he will now be called Paul. He's baptized and on regaining his strength, he begins at once to teach in the Jewish synagogues of Damascus that Jesus is the Son of God. We read later that in the book of Galatians, after several days, Paul journeys into the neighboring desert. He then returns to Damascus where he preaches the good news of Jesus to the Jewish community for three years. The very place where Paul was heading to persecute and kill Christians because of their faith, he would return in order to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, that is an incredible story. Paul thought that he had everything he wanted, that he had the power, the, the influence, everything, but God had a different plan. This reminds me of a story of a recording artist with 21 Grammy Awards. That's a big deal. Who once said in an interview, I have spread a lot of things. There was a time when I was letting you know what high fashion had done for me. I was letting you know what alcohol had done for me. I was letting you know what women had done for me. But now I'm letting you know what Jesus has done for me. And in that, I am no longer a slave. I am a son of God. I am free. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 26, for what will it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world but loses his soul? No matter what we gain, what we have, we won't be able to find the things that will truly bring contentment to our souls. We've seen that contentment cannot come from just losing everything or gaining everything we could want. So maybe contentment isn't about us. Maybe it's about the other people in our life. Verse 12 says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So how can I be truly content? Do I have to rely on someone else? 
Does my contentment come from my spouse or my kids or my boss? Paul writes that he has learned to find contentment in every circumstance. But if we were to be honest, we could agree that sometimes our circumstances affect our attitude. We've been living in a pretty rough circumstance for the past few weeks. Some people are still going to work every day, but many are working from home and some are not even able to work at all. Kids are off of school, trying to navigate online education. And while the entire family unit is getting tired of seeing each other every single day. How many arguments have broken out in your home over the last few weeks? Between you and your spouse, between you and your kids? Added family stress related to this crisis, including job loss, isolation, excessive confinement, and anxieties over health and finances, heighten the risk of violence in the home, including both between partners and by caregivers against children. The United Nations Secretary General has reported a horrifying global surge in domestic-based violence linked to COVID-19 and calls to helplines in some countries have reportedly doubled. Child abuse is less likely to be detected during this time because child protection agencies have reduced monitoring in order to reduce the spread of the virus. And teachers are less able to detect signs of ill treatment with schools being closed. For some, being home right now is a blessing. But for others, it's a war zone. For many of you watching, it's our prayer at Wellspring that this will be a time for family growth, for relationship building, and for safety. But sadly, we know that this is not the same for everyone. Many psychologists believe that after this crisis is over, we'll see a small baby boom, but we'll also see an increase in the divorce rate. Why is this? Why is our family so often affected by our circumstances. Of course, we find safety and comfort in the ones we're closest with, but it is also where we find our contentment. The truth of the matter is that people will fail you. People will let you down. Promises will be broken. People will do things for their own gain. Nobody will fulfill the contentment that you crave fully. The more that we put pressure on our relationships to fill the need we have for contentment, the harder it will be. What if people weren't designed to give you the contentment that you think you need? Sure, we can enjoy relationships with others, but what if no amount of friendship or relationship could satisfy our contentment? I think if you were honest, you would agree with me. Listen, friends, you can try and search the whole world for happiness, but you won't find it. My question is, have you ever tried looking outside of this world? True contentment cannot be naturally discovered. It must be something that is supernatural. And if that's the case, then true contentment can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. Paul concludes in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is one of the most well-known verses in the entire New Testament. Many of us have seen these words on bumper stickers or t-shirts or written on the cleats of professional athletes. This verse is often uh, shortened to, I can do all things. But is that what Paul is really saying here? Is he telling us to believe in ourselves 
or to believe that Christ empowers us to do whatever we set our minds to? I don't think so. This verse is so misused because many Christians interpret the words all things as anything. Not all things Paul has talked about. It's not a blanket endorsement that God will support anything we set up to do and empower us to do whatever impossible things we can imagine. It's an assurance that we can do whatever God has called us to do, not whatever we decide to do. It's an encouragement that God can give you the strength to be content no matter what. C.S. Lewis once said, He who has God and many other things has no more than he who just has God. Our contentment in life does not come from what we have or what we don't have. True contentment only comes from a relationship with Jesus. You won't find contentment in your job, in your spouse, in your friendships, in your wealth, in your addiction, in your church. Contentment must come from the source of all things. True contentment can only come from a relationship with Jesus. So maybe today, in the midst of everything going on, you're searching for contentment. Many people want everything to go back to normal. But if you were really content, were you really content with how things were before? Did you understand your contentment more then than you do now? True contentment can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. And so maybe today you're searching for that contentment. You're tired of trying to be fulfilled with your spouse, with your family, with your career. You've allowed things like pride, addiction, and envy steal your joy. Jesus is asking you to find contentment in him. Wherever we're at right now, I want you to know that Jesus sees you in the midst of of your circumstance, and he loves you just the same. I want to give us an opportunity to pray together because I believe that many of us have not found our contentment in Jesus because we've never actually let him into our life. So wherever you're at, as long as you're not driving, would you close your eyes and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray right now. For those who are watching this, Lord, who are trying to find their contentment in other things, God, we pray that they would find their contentment in a relationship with you. And maybe right now you're listening and you're saying, yeah, I want that contentment. I want that relationship with Jesus. If that's you, you can pray a prayer just like this. There's nothing magical about the world words. It's believing this in your heart to be true that sets you free. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I mess up. I know that I make mistakes. But Jesus, I want to find contentment in you. I want a relationship with you. And so the best way that I know how, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my life and change me forever. In Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time today, I want you to scroll down into the comment section and click the button that says, I said yes to Jesus. We would love to connect with you. As we transition out of this time, the worship team is gonna come back and lead us in a song that's called The Blessing. 
This song comes right out of scripture and we as a church are praying this over you and your families right now. Believe today that Jesus is for you. Have a great week. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Tom's River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.